Praise the Lord. So I'm going to preach a message called The Shining Face of God. We're in. We're in. We've got the... That's good. That's always good to have your title slide. Um, did you know that God's face shines? That is often presented in the pages of the Bible. I think of one verse where the Bible says, God is light. It's a bit like that passage where it says, God is love. God in his nature is light. God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. The radiance that I just spoke about was unveiled to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that account? There's three times in the Bible it's mentioned one in Matthew, one in Mark, one in Luke. I'll read in a minute from the passage in Matthew. But the Mount of Transfiguration, theologians might say, and don't get lost in the language, the theologians might call it a view of the ontological state of Jesus. What do I mean by the ontological state of the Son of God? Another way of expressing it might be, this is just how he is. This is just how he is in his essence. Eternal divinity revealed to the disciples. For a brief time, the disciples were exposed to the radiance of God's nature. It was unveiled. You just whisper that word under your breath, unveiled. That's, this, this is a key word in what we're going to look at in the shining face of God because what I want to teach you in this time is how to encounter the glory of God in the reading of the Bible. How to encounter the glory of God in the reading of the Bible. And this should encourage you in your own Bible reading and maybe to take up the Bible for the it's an incredible book. I remember, and my church will probably be bored of me telling this story, but when I was dating Rachel close to 30 years ago, um, at Wigan Northwestern train station, the time when we had pay phones, and you go through the doors at Wigan Northwestern, the pay phone was on the right, wasn't it? There was a guy leant up against the pay phone. I was coming off the train station from Crewe, and he screamed out at me from about 15 meters. You know, like, it was like a scene out of the Bible. He screamed, snarled at me, he said, you read that book, and he spat the words, that book, out, out at me. And I walked over to him, and I was rooting through my bags to find a book that said how to cast a demon out of a truck man in a train station, but I didn't have that one in my bag. But as I got to him, I said, have you been messing around with the occult? Have you been doing witchcraft? Have you been doing Satan worship? And he, he couldn't look at me like this. He was like, and bear in mind, I wasn't in a deeply spiritual state. I'd been snogging my girlfriend in in Derby and crew and doing things that girls and boys do. Forgive me for using the word snogging in church. It's probably not a very good word for pastor. But, you know, the devil knows what's within his church. God's church. The devil knows what's in the Lord's church. Christ himself in me. And he reacted to the spirit of God in me. That book. I'll never forget those words. The way that he spat the words, that book, showed the view of the demonic realm on the sacred text of the Bible. And as we go into this study, you will get more and more awakened again, and I know you know this, a lot of you, to the power that is in the essence of Scripture. God has literally infused his nature into the written text of the Bible. I think about 2 Timothy 3, I think it is, 3.16. God, scripture is literally, it says it's literally God-breathed. So, so he <sighs> spoke it out, and the text of the Bible 
contains the essence of God's nature, revelation. So how do we get to know who God is? How do we get to know how God operates? How do we get to know how we should relate to God? It's through the revelation of Scripture. Scripture is loaded with light. Religion masks the light. Relationship exposes the light. God wants us to come into an understanding of how precious it is in our country, a country where it's not banned, to have this, that we can turn to it every day and hear the voice of God speaking to us wherever we are. And of course, we have many apps like the YouVersion app on the Bible. So many ways to access what is in its essence God-breathed, life-giving words. That God has somehow put himself in there. So we might say that the words of Paul are also the words of God. Now, I was also, I saw so many visions in this meeting, so many mind pictures. Lord, I saw the, the bunting for the Platinum Jubilee, and I felt like the Lord was saying to me, you know, you, you're going you're gonna to roll out the red carpet and celebrate in one sense. I know we spoke to Anne, but I'm here. The king's here. And, and, and we kind of take for granted what we have. We take for granted what's in our hands. We, there's no guilt church. You don't ever hear me saying, oh, you should be reading the Bible 30 minutes a day, morning and evening. You've never heard anything, certainly in the last 20 years from me. I don't, I don't put guilt trips on people. But God knows this stuff's good for us. God, God knows this changes lives. God knows this transforms thinking to set the course of a person's destiny. And he wants to break down every mindset that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How do we dismantle mindsets that, that set themselves up against the knowledge of God? Through this. It's like a feather duster that goes around our mindsets and brings down the cobwebs which the devil has set up. Which make the place of our mind dirty and clouded and distracted and not quite fit for, for purpose. Let me say again what the essence of what I'm trying to get across to you is. I believe, and this is my premise for this teaching, that you can encounter the glory of God within the pages of the Bible. Literally encounter the glory of God. I'm going to expand on that. It's like, it's like the Bible verse that will zone in towards the end talks about an unveiling, like the drawing of a curtain or the opening of a door. To see God. Let's get into that. The Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, verses 1 to 8. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. Did you hear that phrase? His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Sounds a bit... Nobody was looking there. Well pleased. No, sorry. <laughs> Justin's got sense of humor. Listen to him. 
Some people thought that was a little bit irreverent and probably was. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, encountering the glory of God in this moment had marked Peter for the whole of his life journey. The scripture is very clear with that. We see Peter as an old man in 2 Peter, verse 14 and 18 of chapter 1 in 2 Peter. Listen to what Peter says as an old man. I know that I will soon put my earthly dwelling aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, i.e. when he dies, you will always be able to remember these things. What things do you want to pass on, Peter, in your final words to us? He goes on and he says to them, we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told to you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I'm going to have to struggle to not think of it that way anymore. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Do you see the old man? recollecting the moment. It's an unforgettable memory. You see, Jesus was entirely human, but he was also entirely divine. And the disciples had got used to seeing him as Jesus the man, but they'd not seen him as the heavenly son of God in a radiant state of eternal divine glory. Now, our son is a weak illustration in this moment, but I'm going to use it anyway. So you you can look at the sun on the TV, can't you? Yeah, you, look at, you can look on the sun on a photograph or an illustration, and we can look at images directly. However, the sun cannot be viewed directly with the naked eye, such as its glory. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? Have you ever seen on the newspaper magazines where they put glasses so that you have to look at the sun through these, and there's a solar eclipse coming, and please don't look through anything other than these. If you do, you'll damage yourself. Well, I I met a girl who damaged herself looking at a solar eclipse in 2015. Uh, We were sharing the gospel on the streets of Wigan, and I know some of you will have heard this story, but others won't. And her eyes were damaged. If you want to have verification of this, ask Ben Houghton, presently in California, but some of you know Ben. Ben. Ben had seen this and tried to pray for this girl as well. And she, she literally looked like this. So the first time I met her, I was like, is the sun in your eyes? She was like, no, I damaged my eyes looking directly at a solar eclipse. And well, when I put my hands on her eyes and lifted them off, it's the only time I've ever prayed for someone and literally been shocked myself. I don't think I was actually expecting a miracle. <laughs> you know, talk about believe for this and it'll happen. I was like, doing what you do. Took it off and she had two, literally two brand new eyes. When I showed Ben the photograph or the video, of it. He, he took a sharp intake of breath because she was completely transformed. Let's have a look at the video of her testimony of that, if you have it. You had damaged eyes, and they were completely closed when I pray for you. Yeah. And now they're open, so yeah. you're trying to work it out. Can you, t- can you say what, what you think might have happened or what your experience was? Um, it was just a miracle, really. Yeah, it's... 
the point in showing you that is she looked at the sun and she was marked forever until Jesus encountered her on the streets. It had changed her. It had, it had made her look quite strange, actually. She was looking at me like this. When I prayed for her and the Lord healed her, her, her male partner literally, and it's not an exaggeration, sprinted away down the streets away from us both, terrified, and looked over his shoulders and said, it's a trick of the mind. Two or three times, it's a trick of the mind. And he sprinted faster than he'd probably ever run in his life. It was a weird, weird moment. But the mark on this girl was there for all to see. She was walking around with the effects of gazing at the glory of the sun, S-U-N. Now, I want to suggest to you, if you understand the principle we're going to get into the teaching of, if you gaze at the glory of the sun, S-O-N, in a positive way, you'll be marked and irreversibly changed. If you learn this ability to gaze at God in the pages of Scripture, the Bible literally says we'll be changed from one degree of glory to the next. Listen to this. You cannot stare at the glory of God without being changed. Think about, take a size, think about the angel that came down in Matthew 28, verse 3, where the angel came down, his voice spoke to them, but his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. He, he carried the radiance of what was in heaven coming from God, because God is light. No wonder in Revelation it says, the Lamb will be the light in the last days in the New Jerusalem. His presence is radiant. But we have this privilege, we, we have this privilege now that we too can gaze on the glory of God. We, we too can be transformed right now if we learn this, which I'm about to read to you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, one might ask on reading this verse, okay, well, I want to behold the glory of the Lord. How, how do I do that? For some, it'll be an encounter with God. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever experienced God in his glory. Like Paul did on the, Saul did on the Damascus Road, or Moses on the mountain in Exodus. This sort of encounter moment where... Literally, Moses' face came down shining, which is the basis for that teaching in 2 Corinthians. I remember a time when Rachel was at university with me, and you were ministering with that rascal, Conrath. And typically following John, Jonathan is a lot of the glory of God. And Jonathan was ministering. Rachel came back, and she was my girlfriend, my sweetheart. She came back through the door. I could hardly recognize the transformation that was here between the eyes. So what, what on earth has happened to you? Do you remember it? Like you sat with, with the people who were present in that teens and twenties weekend. You were ministering singing, and God's glory showed up. Do you remember how long it was? An hour, two hours? People literally, you, some of you will have experienced this. Like some, some of the experienced believers in this room. The glory of God came on the meeting and nobody said a word for hour stroke hours because his presence hung on the place. But Rachel, when she turned up, she'd seen the glory in a spiritual sense, and her eyes were ablaze with bright blue light. I've never seen anything like that in my, my girlfriend until, until that point. I was like, wow, and I spent time staring at her. I was like, wow, 
I can see the effects of staring at the glory, at least in a spiritual sense. But most of us, including Rachel and myself, haven't seen that blazing light glory, that sort of thing that shone out of Jesus' face when he told Paul he was kicking against the goads and stopped him on the Damascus Road. The, the full, God, the transfiguration moment, none of us, I mean, give me a wave if you've seen anything like that. There's not many Christians who have. There might be one in the room. If you've seen God in that way, you can encounter the felt presence of God and it's transformative. But most of us will only feel and experience the glory of God in, in this transformative way daily through the word. And, and this is an alternative pathway, a different way, one of several through which we can have a transformation of encountering God's glory. It's, it's only for the spirit-led believer, by the way. It's not for, not for the, the standard person in the planet who wants to just read the Bible as an exercise of literature. I know lots of them have had a go. This is when the Spirit of God is enabling you to read the text and bringing it alive to you on the reading. The Bible says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, which is the essence of the context of that verse. Let me read it to you, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 15 to 18. To this day... Whenever Moses is read, did you hear that? To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over Jewish people's hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Now this Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, Christian believers, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, where? in the reading of the Bible, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as I've said many times already, my major conviction is this. We can encounter God's glory by reading his word and bring heaven to earth through such meditations. I think of Stephen's martyrdom in Acts chapter 6 and 7. If you go home and read that sometime this week, his, it says his face shone like the sun. Do you remember that? His face shone like the sun at the end of chapter 6. And then into chapter 7, if you think I preached for a long time, Stephen seems going for one and and pouring out the whole history of the Israelite people. But what I see in that preaching is, is a man who is full of the word of God. He's full of the truth. He's pouring out of him. He's been gazing upon this Jesus in his own scriptures and in his own walk. Everyone seated at the council stared at Stephen and they saw that his face was radiant just like an angel's. So we can encounter God's glory by reading his word and bring heaven to earth through such meditations. Now, if you're still not convinced by this conviction of mine, let me take you to a place where the Lord took me as I started this preparation journey for today's message. Let's uh, go to the next slide. Rachel's already read from Psalm 119. And there's too much complexity to go deeply into that. Some of you may or may not be able to see all of that. Um, I hope it's okay for most people to see. But the, if you look at me just for a minute, because the colours might bamboozle you. Psalm 119 has 176 verses, 22 stanzas or sections of writing, each beginning with one Hebrew letter. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet. Vav, Zion, and as you, go th- as you go through them, 
it's what you, what you teach six-year-olds six at primary school. It's an acrostic. So every section of Psalm 119 begins with a letter of the alphabet, and he goes through it, and it's, as Rachel said, a focus on God's word. But what's amazing about this section that the Lord laid on my heart at the start of the week, and which I since found to be everywhere in the text of the Bible, is that you have it wrapped up a bit like a picture frame. So if you imagine that this has got one of these around my phone, it acts a bit like a, a picture frame around it. And inside, you imagine the phone, that would be the picture on your mantelpiece or whatever. I've not got a picture with me. This is what's going on here. The red is like the picture frame. And the, and the, the, green, the dark green highlighting is the other part of the frame. It's what we call inclusio or chiasmus. It simply means that what you have at the top is echoed at the bottom. Now, it's really important that you understand this because one example would be when you, when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, that's not a scientific report about how the, the world was made. If you're understanding the Bible properly, it's a poem. And so Genesis 1 points to who created the heavens and the earth. The poem, which is chiasmus, it's this picture frame thing, what you have at the top happens and echoes at the bottom and all the way through in an egg timer shape pointing to the theme of the poem in Genesis 1, right at the middle, the theme of Genesis 1 is Elohim, God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2, inside the middle of the egg timer, it's man. Because the theme of chapter 2's poem in Genesis is man, is the centerpiece of what's trying to be painted with word pictures. But what do we have here with this? Because we've got an echo at the top and the bottom, we might say that verse 130 links to verse 135. It's not something I've made up. This is how a Hebrew would read the Bible. So if you're switching off, this is going to help you understand how to read your Bible as an English person. So how does it link? I've highlighted it. It says, the unfolding of your words gives light. Make your face shine on your servant. It's the same principle. That the unfolding, the unveiling, the revealing, the opening of a door to God's word brings the light of God's face where? Upon his servants who has a heart to learn. Now, if, if you're already switching off, I might not be the man to communicate Deep stuff too, you might relate and tune into other styles of teaching. But you should have a heart that is passionate to learn God's word. Because none of us are the finished article. And if what I said at the beginning is true of God's word, that it reflects his nature and person, that he's breathed his essence into it, to not want to go deeper in our study of the Bible, literally is saying, and you may not have considered this, I don't want more of God. And I'm intentionally letting that hang. Because to know him is to know the truth that reveals him. And in most cases, God reveals himself through the scriptures in this life. Let me show you a man who has a heart right towards the Bible. It's the man who wrote Psalm 119. And you may, you may have the U version app. This is the Kindle. When I start to click through this, can you see how I've highlighted sections of, I'm sure maybe you do that on your, on your, you'll be able to see, can you see the colour, wave at me if you can see the colour? And I'm going through it and every page I'm stopping and nearly bursting into tears, looking at this guy and thinking, oh my goodness, this guy is remarkable. I, I, I want to be like him. I, I want to have the passion for God's word that he has. 
I, I want to be into it like he is. Now, every one of us is going to be tested by what I'm about to read because none of us, including me, are where this guy is who wrote this. But this is an appropriate response to, to God's word in the Bible. This is an appropriate response to God's word in the Bible. Listen to this. This guy, is, it's emotional seeing how hungry he is. I'll just read you some of the highlighted words. He's saying things like, how can, I keep, how can a young person keep his path pure by complying or living according to your word? Then he says immediately after that, I've sought you with my whole heart. You start to get into this and it builds and it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I've sought you with my whole heart. I have hidden your sayings in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Uncover my eyes so that what is in your word will come out to me, the wonders that emanate from your Torah. Listen to this. This is the one that started to get me. I started to get weep as I was reading it. I am overwhelmed, verse 20 of Psalm 119. I'm overwhelmed with intense longing for your law all the time. I'm overwhelmed with intense longing for your word, your law, all the time. That that is hunger. That's a heart that's completely devoted to God. Notice there's no guilt trips, there's no no pastor telling you how long you should spend in the word. I'm talking about somebody's heart for God. I want you, is what he's saying. See, see, for me, when I went to Bible college, it wasn't about getting more knowledge. It wasn't about studying theology. It was a pursuit of God. Theology, Bible study, it's a pursuit of God. It's a desire for him. I couldn't be bothered studying if it didn't lead to him. I want to know him, not knowledge. Give me insight into your way that is taught in your charges so that I may meditate on your wonders. He says things like, I hate the way people devalue your word. Going on, I'm skipping through lots of the Psalms. I was seized with a passionate fury in reaction to the wicked who abandon your law. He's, he's not liking the fact that in society people don't follow God's ways, which we would understand. The snares of wicked folk are all around me. I do not forget your laws, verse 61. I, used, I suffered and I used to stray, but now I comply with your word and it keeps me safe. It was good for me to be made to suffer. It, it was taught me in your laws the right way. May my heart be marked by integrity in respect of your word so that I may not suffer humiliation. How many times do we see Christian leaders political leaders, compromised, and then humiliation comes because their private life does not reflect their public life. That's because integrity has this idea of being integrated backstage, front stage, that what you see is what you get. And so he's saying, if I don't live according to your word privately as well as publicly, it's inevitably going to lead to humiliation. Forever, Yahweh, your word stands firm in the heavens. I'm skipping through the Psalms. These are the ones that stood out to me. Generation after generation, your word is faithfulness and your word is faithful and endures. How I long and love your Torah. All day long, it is my meditation. All day long. Is this, is this getting to anyone? All day long. Away from every evil path have I kept my feet in order to live according to your word. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light 
to my path. You're my hiding place, my shield. I put my hope in your word. I'm just bouncing through all the different things that stood out to me. And you can, you can do your highlighting yourself. And I'm just randomly reading from the Bible. But we can see in that, just in those 176 verses, which takes 15 minutes to read, a guy that wants God. A guy that longs to be like God, to know God, to live God's way. And if you've got anything out of this, anything at all, it's an encouragement to get back into the book and to read God's word. Psalm 119, just to get closer to the end, has much in it. It's a way of finding life, finding strength, finding understanding, finding deliverance. All the phrases 14 times repeated. How do they find life? How do they find deliverance? How do they find understanding? How do they find revival? Revival's in there, would you believe, Jim? How do they find revival? According to your word is the pattern that's repeated 14 times. In other words, if God has said it, it will be so. Now, we know this, we've heard this, we believe this, but have we lost the ability to dig in and say, okay, that's God's word, I'm going to stand on it until it happens, because that's the substance of faith. Let me give you one example from this section. Verse 1 through 2 says, turn to me and have mercy on me. There's two things there. Turn to me and have mercy on me. And I love this phrase, as you always do. As you always do. What am I saying with this? There are eight law words in Psalm 119. What, What am I saying with eight law words? Well, literally, God has bound himself to the laws that he has revealed for our conduct, for his behavior, for the way we relate to him, for the way things will go down. If you sow this way, you'll reap this way. God has set in the fabric of his creation patterns and laws and ways. Sow this way, reap this way. And God has bound himself to this law, and this will encourage people in this room who are feeling ashamed of themselves. People who feel broken in their sin. People who feel lonely, people who feel like God's abandoned them, this will speak to you. Turn to me, have mercy on me, as you always do. Now, we would read that and we would miss it. But behind the phrase, as you always do, is is a law word in in the Hebrew grammar that points to the nature of Yahweh. You always, listen to me folks, this is really encouraging for those of you who struggle with particular sins, feel ashamed sometimes, can't feel like you can contribute to things of God. The Lord says, for those who love his name, which is everyone, even if you've fallen away from God, you love Jesus, you wouldn't say anything against Jesus, you might be struggling with your sin. The Bible says, he will always turn to us. He will always have mercy on us when we turn to him in prayer. Is that good news? Is that good news? It's, it, you see, see, what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden is they did not know the nature of God. They lost. They had a darkened understanding. And they hid away, naked and ashamed, covered themselves in leaves, tried to sort it themselves, as we often always try to do, to fix our mess. And all God wanted was intimacy. Come to me. You are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you, which is easy. My burden, which is like, I'm a relational God. I'm not rejecting you because of your failures. I'm embracing you because of my love. It's in my nature to love you. It's in my nature to save you. It's in my nature to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless. It's who I am. I'm salvation. That's my name. I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm salvation. I'm salvation. And so this one who is salvation calls the sinning Christian back to his embrace, like the father in Luke 15, who wants to throw his arms around his son. And I, and I think that we've moved away from this revelation of who he is, and we've adopted the devil's lie, and we're in a posture of hiding. Do you know that prayerlessness is hiding? Do you know that coming into a church context and not feeling like you can contribute and covered in shame is a form of hiding and a form of deception that you're under? It's not the gospel. The gospel says we are accepted in the beloved. When? All the time. We're his family. I don't know if this is going on. I'm trying to read you. We're his family. He's our father. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. Is this good news? Is this good news to me? I mean, it did me good. As you always do, you always have mercy, you always turn to people who call to you. This promise destroys shame. This promise destroys shame. Have you got any shame that needs destroying? It's just one example of the way the unfolding of God's word. You go to the next slide. The unfolding of God's word, or the entrance into your word, gives light. Because as we engage with the truths in the Bible, hashtag truth transforms. As we walk into an understanding that God has his arms wide open to us, just in that one verse I read, instead of feeling I've got to work my way back to God, which is religion, I've got to somehow measure up, I've got to somehow be performing well enough as a believer to feel that presence again and to enjoy his glory again. And the Lord said, that's just not what it is to be a Christian. It's not the gospel. The gospel is you are accepted in the beloved, and your New Testament will say that in capitalized letters. Beloved, capital B, Jesus. You're accepted. I don't know if this is going in. I'm trying to preach truth. Because you see James is hearing it and receiving it. What a saviour. What a saviour. My major conviction for this message is that God's glory can be encountered in the reading of his word. And bring heaven to earth through such meditations. I'm just going to finish there, but ask you to just pause and close your eyes and think practically, not in a way that we do sort of New Year's resolutions, sort of an unachievable goal, but think, how can you this week start a rhythm of getting back into it? If you're good at getting into God's word, God bless you. Well done. Not everyone is. But maybe you can find a way of Finding God in the pages of the Bible again. As Martin Luther, the reformer, said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. Let's just have a minute's pause to think. I've already done this on my own in my study for my week ahead.
Amen. Think and pray about it some more. How can you get more of the word of God into you? How can you hear God and encounter his glory this week and onwardly? If you don't have a Bible, let me say to you that there are lots of free Bibles uh, downstairs in the lower hall. You'd be welcome to read it. Um, it's got a guide at the front of them, the Gideon's Bibles, the brown hardback. Um, well, worth, well worth reading. For those who don't yet know Christ, it's how C.S. Lewis, the writer of the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, came to faith in Jesus. As an Oxford professor of logic, he read the Bible and he knew that God was who he said he was and Jesus was who he said he was through the Bible, which is a remarkable book written by God. Amen. Bless you.